0: So we're nearly into the last quarter of 2020, and what a year it's been. The economic figures, as expected, are not great. Across the globe, GDP is down, unemployment is soaring, and businesses are going bankrupt. The pandemic has us all in its grip. But one very lucrative trade seems unscathed.
1: I always say that if the meth trade were somehow something that you could buy on the stock market or invest in, you would just make the best returns imaginable.
0: Patrick Nguyen is an investigative reporter for Public Radio International based in Bangkok. He's been following the illegal drug trade in Southeast Asia for over a decade. His book, Hello Shadowlands, Inside the Meth Fiefdoms, Rebel Hideouts, and bomb Party Towns of Southeast Asia, is a fascinating read.
1: Basically, the Golden Triangle region of Southeast Asia has consolidated its place as the meth heartland of the world, really. I mean, they they produce more methamphetamine for the Asian market than the Mexican cartels do for the North American market. So it's gone up so much that you're even seeing the super labs in the Golden Triangle exporting to Indonesia, Malaysia, and even as far away as, as the Philippines. And then the real market they're shooting for is Australia, South Korea, Japan. Mm where you can charge, so I hear, like 500 U.S. for a gram of crystal meth, where I could buy that in Bangkok for about $100. So that's really amazing profit margins.
0: Why is that, you think? What is feeding the rise of the meth trade? What is it that's making it so profitable and making it a commodity that the drug users are more willing to buy?
1: There's a lot of reasons. I mean, for one thing, it's just way easier than it was even a few decades ago to to get the drugs from the jungle to the cities where people are buying it. But now you can put it on a new highway or you can take it on an airplane or a boat. And there's just so much stuff moving around the Asian region in general. I mean, that's you, you see how the economy is. You can buy everything from computers to sneakers to whatever, from China, blah, blah, blah. And you can just mix it in with that stuff. Well, I would say like the reason that people are buying more drugs now, a lot of the so-called drug warriors will kind of hint that it's some big problem with society or uh, society's falling apart. I wouldn't listen to any of that. It just has to do with there's been this great shift, of course, where people have moved from the farms to the cities, and they just have more money. So some of that money is going to be spent on uh, on drugs because people like to get high. So you
0: mean, aside from the production, is the highest rate of consumption for a drug like meth also in Southeast Asia?
1: I don't know if a bigger percent of the population is doing hard drugs in Southeast Asia or methamphetamine in Southeast Asia, but I know that it is far and away the most popular drug in Southeast Asia. It's just out there. People I know who are responsible moms and dads have at least tried it or maybe went through a little phase where they were using it a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's fairly easy to make from chemicals and you can produce large quantities of it for for pretty cheap. But also a lot of the people I have spoken to who are still using drugs are using it to work longer hours. If you have a job where you're doing really repetitive labor over and over like, you know, stitching tennis shoes in a factory or even fishing or shrimp farming, or driving a truck, that's a classic example. Mm-hmm. This drug makes that really repetitive, boring job a lot more tolerable. So that's my theory.
0: And the area, the area you talk about, the Golden Triangle.
1: Yeah, it's all coming in from inside Myanmar. So the, I would say the northern hilly part of Myanmar, north of Thailand.
0: What is it about that area that makes it most conducive to production?
1: Ah. Oh. Uh, it's just, it can't be beat when it comes to <laughs> when a, a place to, to run a super lab for, for all sorts of reasons. So if we're going to try to think like a drug lord or a drug producer, the first thing you need to have a mess lab is a place to put it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a great place to put it because there are all of these indigenous armed groups and there are all of these smaller militias that are aligned with Myanmar's army that are controlling territory there. The army will usually say to these groups, hey, if you hold down this patch of land for us for free, on the flip side, we're not going to harass you if you're doing illegal things there. This militia will say, sounds like a good deal. So what happens next is they don't know how to start a meth lab and they don't know how to run a meth lab because this is not a place where you have a lot of people running around with chemistry degrees. So what will happen is someone with that expertise, usually from China, will come in and say, oh, we see that you have some land, you have a militia. Can we come and just rent some land from you to build a meth lab and run it? We'll bring in the chemistry grads. Just make sure that we don't get in legal trouble. Make sure that the army or the police don't come in and raid it. And then those groups will actually manage the lab. The militia or armed group doesn't have to do... All that much. Just just basic protection.
0: Is a lot of the money behind this coming in from China then, from what you've seen?
1: The investment is coming from China. This is a very old story in the Golden Triangle. If you wanted to traffic drugs around the world, you need to speak some common language that's commonly spoken, such as English or Chinese. In this part of the world, it ends up being Chinese. And you also want to have a network of other peoples, traffickers, buyers that are around the region, and Chinese have that diaspora to plug into. So imagine you're an ethnic group in Myanmar that, you know, there isn't a diaspora, or you speak a language that's not commonly spoken, like Lahu or Aka, or, you know, probably these languages most of your listeners have never heard of. How are you going to hook up with a network that can get drugs all the way to Australia or? the Philippines like who are you going to talk to there's not a huge lahu community or an aka community all over the world so for these reasons they can't really grow beyond their their homeland their indigenous territory and chinese organized crime groups this is not affiliated with the chinese government or anything right. but they happen to be chinese often cantonese speaking do have all of that working in their favor they really have the network all over not just asia but all over the world so they are going to be the chemists, they are going to be the traffickers, and they are the ones that make all the money, to be honest.
0: The local groups end up becoming sort of vassals to the Chinese syndicates in in a sense, don't they?
1: Yeah, I would say so. As profiteers go, they're at least in the middle. And then, of course, the lowest level of profiteer in this whole pyramid ends up being the person who actually sells it to you on the street. Any street dealer that tells you they're like living a life of luxury, I wouldn't believe them. If they're like a domestic trafficker, yeah, they're doing pretty good. If they're an international trafficker, they're doing great.
0: From all the reports that you've done, is this what has connected it to the Philippine market? Or does the Philippines have its own kind of homegrown meth trade as well? In the southern Philippines, it has the very same issues that you pointed out as that area of Myanmar, which is indigenous groups that are armed, militias that may or may not be working or aligned with the army, the same kind of problems.
1: Yeah, last I checked, well, I'll just say this, in in the last 10 years or so, or even going 10 years back, you were seeing pretty large meth labs in the Philippines. Some actually like on Luzon, like not even that far from the big population centers. And then some some was coming in from China because 15 years ago, there was still a lot of methamphetamine actually coming out of China. Uh, The Chinese authorities, to their credit, went in and busted all of those up. And so they had to run somewhere. So some, I'm sure, ran to the Philippines. Most of them ran to the Golden Triangle area and to, to Myanmar. But again, it will have to go by the same rules I described before. Someone is going to have to give the drug producers, the guys who run the meth labs, a reasonable feeling of certainty that they can put their lab here and no one is going to mess with it. And the police aren't going to come. So the Southern Philippines may have that type of environment where they can make that promise. Right now, you know, still experiencing Duterte's war on drugs, it would be, I think, less conducive to put that super lab right now. But they might be there.
0: One of the world's most ruthless dictators, Rodrigo Duterte.
1: Duterte said he would fatten the fish in Manila Bay with the bodies of dead criminals. Thousands of people died, killed by
0: police, as well as so-called death squads operating with impunity.
1: It's certainly the cheapest, I say the morally cheapest and crudest way to go about it. I've met people who were dealing drugs in in Manila it's quite a few years ago this is for my mm-hmm. first book and look this these, these were not people you need to worry about you know really hurting anyone if you don't want to buy drugs don't buy their drugs they were really low level pushers and then found themselves I should not sorry pusher is a drug war word sellers of drugs and then the drug war comes along and they fear about getting shot in the head I think it would be immoral, but I would understand if someone thought, if we do this for a few years, it will eliminate the drug trade in our country forever, and it's a high enough price to pay. Okay, I can follow the logic of that, but when you know that doesn't work, it becomes mostly a political thing to satisfy people and, and create a feeling of control where there isn't one. So,
0: How much money would you say this trade is worth?
1: the UN says that the meth amphetamine market in Asia is worth 60 billion. That's about as big as the entire economy of Myanmar. That's like a way bigger than the entire economy of Laos or Cambodia or some of the other smaller Southeast Asian countries. And All of that money isn't going into the bank accounts of drug syndicates. It's across the entire economy. So, that number, 60 billion, is the money that's going to buy the chemicals, the money that's going to like the wholesale prices when you move big kilos from, say, Burma to Australia. And it's going into the 100, 150 bucks people are paying for a gram of crystal meth on the street. So, it's not pure profit. in in the hands of one conglomerate. You can buy a kilo of crystal meth in the Golden Triangle for five grand and then sell it for more than a hundred grand in Australia. These are life-changing amounts of money. So you understand why people would be attracted to that.
0: Has it been affected at all by this current pandemic?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) not really. They're doing fine.
0: How is that possible then? Is there just no concern for safety or is it that they're so isolated that something that might affect the rest of the world in terms of the way society intermingles doesn't affect where these narcotics are coming from, where these drugs are coming from?
1: I had thought that maybe it would be difficult to for the methamphetamine super labs in Myanmar to get the chemicals that they need because some of the border crossings from China into Myanmar were closed or half closed or in uncertain states so either they have such a crazy big stockpile of these chemicals already that it didn't matter they just could keep producing from their stockpile maybe that's the case or they found other ways to get it across those borders but all you have to do is look at the price i mean if they're having trouble getting their chemicals across one thing will lead to another to another to another and then the price of crystal meth on the streets of Bangkok will go up And it's not going up, it's going down. I mean, it was going down before the pandemic and it has not shot back up. And so it's never been cheaper to buy super high quality, high purity crystal meth in the whole region. And COVID-19 has not changed that at all.
0: Wow. So these chemicals have to come in from elsewhere to where the meth labs might be, and then they're put together there and then exported? Or is there anything that has to be provided by the local group as well, other than a location?
1: It's mostly the location. Some of these groups, if they're entrepreneurial, may take on extra roles. They may be interested in acquiring some of the chemicals. They may take part in some of the trafficking. like Maybe they'll get it from their area to the border and then hand it over. But by and large, it's the real, usually China-based syndicates that are doing all of that. You know, China has one of the biggest chemical production industries in the world. So everyone listening to this has probably ingested some chemicals from China at some point, maybe because you had a cold, maybe it was vitamins, whatever. Or you've used cleaning products from China. You used everything from China. So you can take chemicals that are legal but regulated, and tweak them to make methamphetamine. The easiest way to do it is to get uh, barrels of this chemical called pseudoephedrine. And this is something that is in pseudofed and cold medicine. You can fairly easily, if you're a good chemist, turn that into methamphetamine with a few other chemicals. That's starting to get more regulated. So then mm. you will have to use different chemicals to get to the same end state. And right. as as these governments keep regulating more and more different types of chemicals, you have to. It gets more annoying. You have to use this chemical to make this chemical to make this chemical. Stir it all together. Okay, now we've got our meth. Whereas it used to be easier, but um, some of the chemicals that are used to make methamphetamine are the same chemicals that you could use to make ketchup or bug spray. This is some of it's pretty common stuff.
0: Okay, the ketchup and the bug spray—that I did not know
1: about. (laughs) Well, all I mean is like it's a chemical that goes into so many things you 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 couldn't even begin to list them, and those happen to be a few few of the things, you know. Do you
0: see any kind of solution to the problem that countries have with such illegal activities? Then, how do they stop something like this from flourishing? When, as you said, you can see the attraction for people who Mm -hmm. might. Never be able to see that kind of money in a year or even in a lifetime.
1: Yeah. Well, what they're doing now isn't working. I can tell you that. A lot of this comes back to the United States, you know, which has had this global war on drugs for fi- almost 50 years. And it just keeps preaching this doctrine that if you keep locking people up and throwing them in cages, people who are drug users, then Eventually, I guess people will become so scared or put off by drugs that the the suppliers won't bother making it anymore. Mm-hmm. Has that worked? I mean, the Philippines has seen the most turbocharged, hyper-driven form of the war on drugs in this region, if not the world. And as I understand it, the price of shabu or crystal meth in the Philippines hasn't changed radically. And I do know you can at least still get it. So if that's that's about this, that's like the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is just start shooting regular drug users and low level pushers. Mm-hmm. And if that won't work, then I think we have to realize that nothing will work so they can keep seizing drugs all they want. That's not going to stop. Or they can try to make peace with the fact that people like using these drugs and see if they can build up some government services to help them get off them if they so choose and yeah. and let's say you know you catch someone with a small amount of drugs i think every country has to decide moving forward do we want to throw them in a cage with robbers and other criminals were they really out to hurt society or were they out to get high and maybe feel like crap for a few days if that person who is on drugs does something extraordinarily violent, like kill someone, or let's say they even just steal something, there are already laws in place so you can send them to jail for that. So you don't need new laws in that respect. But just being in possession of these drugs, you know, what do we want to do right. with them? I don't know. What, what we're doing now isn't working.
0: Yeah. Do you treat them like criminals or people in need of help? That's what they're doing in Portugal, isn't it? Treating it as a health problem.
1: Yeah, and I'll say something that is even more controversial, Marga. I would argue there is a whole other class of people out there, and these people are using drugs, and they don't need to go to rehab. They are otherwise functioning in a healthy way. They are raising their kids just fine. If they don't have kids, they're not really harming anyone. They're doing drugs. They're getting high. It's not great for their productivity. It's not great for their health. It's a risky thing to do, but they're not hurting anyone and you don't need to waste any government money on sending them to rehab. It's just a waste of time. So that's where I start to sound a little more controversial.
0: Would you then say, make these narcotics, make these substances, decriminalize them, basically? Would you go that far?
1: Decriminalize? That, That one's just, that's just obvious to me. That one's very, very obvious to me. I don't, I don't find that to be a risky or controversial idea. All that means is you can still bust the dealers and you can still bust the traffickers and you can still bust the kingpins, mm-hmm. but you catch someone with it driving around in their car and you just take it from them and say, get lost. That's all decriminalization really is.
0: How have you seen it change? From the, all the years that you've been looking at this at this industry in particular, and, then, and the books that you've written, have you noticed a progression, a development in the industry that might be peculiar to the region?
1: Two ways I've seen it change. One is just that it has gone up and up and up. And I'm, I'm talking about the drug economy, and that is going to continue tracking upwards as long as the... Overall economies of Southeast Asia go up. There's a level of growth in Southeast Asia that becomes kind of background noise if you live here, but you forget that, like, no, these countries are growing really fast and urbanizing really fast. So, as long as that happens, the drug trade will keep going up. Like I said, if you could invest in it, you would make a ton of money over like a 10 year investment. It would be more of a sure thing than real estate or anything else you can come up with. The other big development is just that as China has really pushed the methamphetamine trade out of their country or the production out of their country, it has really solidified right there in the in the golden triangle. So the old way of approaching that is the global war on drugs way, and that's America coming in, guns blazing, and trying to like decapitate the heads of these drug producing groups or these armed groups that give shelter to drug producers. One thing you may notice, Marga. On the U.S.-Mexico border, you hear all of these stories of incredible, bizarre violence, right? Like beheadings and things like that. I've often wondered, why don't we see that here in Southeast Asia? Mm. One reason you don't see it is because the trade is headquartered in the Golden Triangle, and the U.S. does not have the power to breathe down Myanmar's neck to go after these guys. So in effect, there's more stability and you don't have people coming in, wiping out the head of some cartel, and then all the other smaller fish chewing each other up to get that share of the trade. When you go in and, and knock people out and knock cartels out, you get violence. When you, right. It's not a popular thing to say, but when you leave right. them alone, they kind of settle into their groove and do their thing. So hopefully, as the drug trade grows in value and the economy grows here in Southeast Asia, it doesn't take on some of the nastier features of the drug wars in North America. And I think that will continue to happen as long as um, the United States doesn't have as much influence as as it does in Mexico.
0: The country that would have that kind of sway in this part of the world would be China, but the Chinese government doesn't seem to have that interest in trying to put a stop to this trade, because is it because it doesn't necessarily affect China directly?
1: It's a bit of a complicated answer, but some of the drug producers that are in Myanmar are aligned with China. These are mainly the indigenous armed groups. China has a bigger game it's playing. And by supporting these indigenous armed groups, it can influence Burma, basically saying, you guys better do what we want because we have a lot of dudes with guns who are loyal to us in the mountains. And Mm. so let's let's play nice, shall we? China could go in with some sort of crazy aggressive sweep and just really eliminate all of the chemicals flowing to the meth labs because they're all coming from China anyway, right? But in doing so, they would dry up the revenue for certain groups that they are benefiting from. And so it would be this big destabilizing force in the region. So they have to play a bigger game of geopolitics before they decide to shut down the meth trade. And who knows? God knows the U.S. hasn't been very good at like stopping the drug trade. So if China I mean, wants to go full on U.S. style war on drugs, they might just fail, too. So
0: How much of a role does the drug trade play in geopolitics in the Southeast Asian region?
1: Oh, my God. It's so huge to a degree that I feel like people don't appreciate. It's considered this kind of fringe, odd subject that you know should pop up in the news every now and then meanwhile like i said the drug economy is just meth alone is 60 billion dollars so you have certain indigenous armed groups that are in myanmar that have more soldiers than the army of sweden okay or or laos so right. it's absolutely huge all of the civil wars in myanmar are connected to the drug trade that's how they are funded more or less so you've got war you've got territory you've got giant armed groups and then you know, this is more economic than geopolitical, but that money has to go somewhere, and it's parked in banks around the regions. Probably parked in banks in in the Western countries too, and it goes into buying real estate. It goes into buying you know these giant conglomerates. All of the the drug the major heads of drug syndicates who have been around since the '80s, most of those guys have diversified. And they're in construction, real estate, and other things like that. It creates billionaires and tycoons who then can go on and influence politics. And uh, the game just keeps going and going.
0: And that was our conversation with Patrick Wynn on the illegal drug trade in Southeast Asia. Thank you for listening to this episode of About That. If you'd like to support the podcast so that we can put more episodes together for you, please visit our Patreon page and become a patron. www.patreon.com forward slash about that the podcast. Other details are in our show notes. Please do share our links and subscribe so that more people can find us. Until next time, I'm Marga Ortigas wishing you all good health and well-being.